it was a football movie uh, that was Christian. I don't know if you remember this. It was years ago. Not Air Bud. No. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to the episode. Today we are discussing the readings for the 33rd Sunday of Ordinary Time, Year A. Proverbs personifies wisdom as the ideal wife. St. Paul tells us to live as children of the day and of the light because the Lord is like a thief. And the gospel is the famous parable of the talents. Remember, if you enjoy this podcast, please like, comment, subscribe, and leave us a review. It all helps us appease the algorithm gods that are very vain and fickle. Also, if you want to ask us a question we'll answer on the podcast, you can ask us by emailing us at basicallyrelatedpodcast at gmail.com. But before we begin, the sacred and the profane. So this week on the 15th, I think, right? Before we begin, I should say, I have a little bit of a cold, so if it's hard to understand me, sorry. You know, I didn't even notice that before you said it, so. Wow. I don't know if that's a, 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 a thing, a commentary on my voice or... Was <laughs> it that? Bad? I don't know. No, now that you said it, I can hear a yeah. little bit of uh, nasal, but uh, you're fine. Yeah, I'm sorry. <laughs> you're fine. <laughs> anyway, the fifteenth of this week is the memorial of Albert the Great, mm-hmm. the teacher of Saint Thomas Aquinas, and I think this highlights the importance of teachers, right? You know, because perhaps I mean maybe there's some Thomas out here that will will be upset by this, but if if Thomas didn't have Albert the Great, we might not have Thomism. Thomas. Yeah. And you know, we might not have Thomas. That the teachers, when we think of these great thinkers, they kind of grew up in a context and they had teachers that taught them, that influenced them, either good or bad, or mm-hmm. you know, either they wanted to be like their teachers or or such. And it kind of introduces, you know, the, the teacher introduces the student into a wider world of ideas. Um, you know, I think about my own education. Yeah. I'm sure you've had teachers too that have greatly profound or profoundly impacted the way you think, or yeah. the course of your life. Every great mind has a teacher, right? Right. And so for Aquinas, it was Albert. For um, Augustine, it was Ambrose. Uh, Dante would say his spiritual teacher was Virgil, you know, through his verses. So there's no such thing as a fully self-taught man. Right, right. exactly. <laughs> so, it always but, makes me wonder, though, how much of a how much context of a thinker do you need to know to understand that thinker? You know, like, yeah. You know how much, how much of uh, of scholasticism or of Augustine or Aristotle or or such do you need to read to understand Thomas? You know, I thought about this also when I was reading Jung because he's always mentioning someone like Nietzsche or Kant or Schopenhauer, and it's like, okay, do I have to read them to really know this thing? And then, but then it's like, man, you could. It, it could go on forever, right? Because right, it's you read Jung and you say, "Oh wow, he he was influenced by Kant." Then you read Kant and it's like, "Well, who was Kant influenced by?" <laughs> no, just... right. And especially reading uh, Thomas Aquinas when he's, you know, he's like, as the philosopher says, and he'll throw out a statement, right? But to really understand what Aristotle meant by that, you would have to know Aristotle. And so, the amount of times that Aquinas does that, I mean, just by studying the sources that Aquinas studied, you can probably become a very well-read thinker. Yeah. <laughs> and so, I mean, you know, Peterson talks about this too, like the legitimacy of any great work. Um, and I'm expanding this analogy to works and books um, from our example with thinkers. But any um, the legitimacy of any great work is to see how interconnected it is with other things. Yeah, right. right. And I think that that's true with um, thinkers too. Like when they're in dialogue with other thinkers, uh, it shows that they are one part of the conversation that's greater than themselves, but also not self-taught. Right. right. Uh, you know, be wary about uh, <laughs> things that you read that have no references outside of itself. Right. Um, so, yeah. Yeah. It, it sometimes knowing the context of a thinker can really actually give great insight into what. Uh, a particular writer thinks, you know, it can give give him greater uh, nuance or or depth or such like that. I was reading Saint John of the Cross recently, and someone had a question about. He said, "If there's any love in, it's something like if, is if there's any love in the soul, then that love is 
in contradiction to love of God, mm. right? Or it it impedes love of God. And the person asks, well, what about love of your spouse? Like, if you're married, you're supposed to love your spouse. So mm-hmm. how is that in conflict, right? You, you think you're fulfilling your duty or your vocation. But if you understand that St. John of the Cross is a, is a man of kind of late scholasticism or high scholasticism in many ways, he, there is the passion of love, and then there's the charity, there, there's the virtue of charity. Mm-hmm. So he's talking about the concupiscible passion, right, of love and not the virtue of love. Right. So sometimes helps. But right. Anyway. Right. Um, probably connected to my sickness, we'll cover the profane, is my bouts of so- insomnia. These last two nights, I've, ha- I've been having a hard time sleeping. And, it, yeah. and it's so – it's. It's so weird, you know, when you're me too. you can't sleep and it's like four AM. So not to make this about me, but <laughs> yes. <laughs> I've been feeling the same. Um you know, there's so my room, uh it's more like a, a suite uh in my rectory. Uh and above the bed there is like a port window, uh maybe maybe three foot by three foot, and it doesn't have a shade on it. And so there's a lot of moonlight that pours through it a lot, uh-huh. uh, yeah, and and many a nights, you know, if it's not cloudy, and so I think that that's part of it. Um, the room is not perfectly dark, um, and also I just I don't know I just yeah just been throwing myself under the covers trying to get sleep and you know doing battle with the devil you know yeah, as you right. say so, <laughs> <laughs> as many as saints did, no but um. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe it's the weather change too. Yeah, know? I don't. I don't know what it is, but I've been having a terrible time trying to sleep. Yeah, it's really catching up to me. It's really and you know problems. what? I got an ad. I guess the. I guess my phone knows that I'm not getting a good night's sleep because I've been, I've been getting ads for yeah. like all these like you know sleep better with this whatever. Uh, but there was one ad um, that I might get it. It's like this cooled uh, a blanket that's like woven together. So there's like holes through it. I don't know if you've seen this, but. Apparently, it's supposed to be like it, it breathes really well. It's a weighted blanket, um, but it's woven in such a way that there's like lots of gaps in it. And so, I'll try that. Yeah, give it a happens. shot. Let me know. Yeah. Maybe it'll help mine as well. Yeah, I, I got a sleepy time tea that I've been taking recently too. Oh yeah, put some honey. Yeah, and a little bit of honey. Yeah, a little bit of natural local honey in yeah. there. That's great. Well, I've been really proactive with trying to just get my like hour or two before I go to sleep. With like no screens. Oh yeah. Um, yeah. And so to dim the lights, get a good book, get my tea, yeah, and just that that kind of helps too, but it hasn't cured the problem, you know, perfectly. So well, keep us updated. We'll next week. We'll yeah. let everyone Same know here. about yeah, we'll yeah about, about the insomnia. <laughs> if we're not here, it's probably because we've gone insane for lack of sleep. <laughs> All right, so let's let's jump into it. So our main themes seem to cover fear of the Lord, faithfulness and fruitfulness. Mm -hmm. So fear of the Lord appears four times, I believe it is, throughout our readings. Once in the first reading, then we have it twice in the psalm, and then then actually in the psalm refrain, blessed are those who fear the Lord. And then we have kind of a contrasting fear of the Lord, a natural fear in the gospel. So in the Old Testament, fear of the Lord has much to do with keeping God's keeping God's law, keeping God's commands. So it's not fear so much in the traditional sense of uh, terror. Terror, yeah. right. It's more about reverence and awe. Right. And sometimes this is also connected to uh, humility, fear of the Lord as realizing that there's something above you, that you are not the, the sole creator of your own life or the life of others, but there is an authority to which you are submitted to. Mm -hmm. So we can kind of talk about, because I think we'll see it throughout our readings, kind of three different types of fear. So we have sort of a human fear, which is, like you said, terror. You know, it's turning away from God in fear. Then there's the servile fear, which is one turns towards God and adheres to him, but it's out of a fear of punishment. And then there's filial fear, which consists in turning to God uh, and turning away from sin. So one is afraid of offending God right. out of love. Right. It's it's not because if you sin, God punishes you. It's because you sin, you offend God. And I, yeah. I don't want to offend God. 
And I think a lot of people kind of fall, um, you know, I think, good believing Christians kind of between this second and third. Yeah. You know, it's like it's hard to say when it's I'm afraid of punishment and when I want to when I don't want to offend God. I think the act of contrition summarizes that mm. perfectly. You know, it's like right. You know, because I dread the loss of heaven and the pains of hell, but most of all, because I offend you, my God. Right. I think there's there, both can be there. Yeah. And I think, uh, you know, it's important to remember that these fears are good, right? Right. Uh, I think Christianity has kind of fallen prey over the last few decades of being very soft and treating God as just a cozy friend, right? And that has led, I think, to a lot of people just being more lax with their morality, you know, and there's kind of been a, a dulling of the spirit among a lot of Christians because they're not properly fearing their relationship with God. Uh, you know, if you truly love somebody, there will be a natural fear, you know, and again, we're using this word fear in this Old Testament sense, not a, not a, a horror or a terror, but there should be a natural fear of offending that person, right? If you love somebody your actions are going to be informed by the sense of, I don't want to harm this relationship right. Right? Because, because of how much I love this person. And so fear is a good thing. Um, fear of the Lord is a good and, and, and something that we need to strive towards as well. So right. just, that was just a caveat because... No, that's it, I think that's, that's perfect. Yeah. So. Um, so in our first reading, this is again where we find the, the first encounter of this, but... Uh, we're getting a reading from the epilogue of the book of Proverbs, Proverbs 31, which is the the Proverbs woman, you know. Um, <laughs> the Proverbs woman. <laughs> a Proverbs 31 woman. The ideal wife, right? Right. So it's talking about the ideal wife, which works on, as Scripture often does, works on two levels. So this could be describing the ideal wife, literally, um, as something that, um, a man should look for in a wife. But there's also, throughout the book of Proverbs, wisdom is again per, uh, is depicted as per, uh, personified wisdom. So the wife as personified wisdom. So since we are not a dating podcast on how, on how to find <laughs> the ideal wife. Yeah. Hence the caller, you know? I mean, that's... <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, I'm sure you, you, you can offer advice. You sure, know, that's you fair. Know. No, I know. Uh, sure, you know, I was, yeah, I sure. being a cliche. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so since, yeah, we're not a dating podcast, we're going to probably go with the more mystical interpretation that the wife here, the ideal wife, is wisdom. Yes. Personified. And especially relating it to the gospel. You know, I, I before uh, we started recording, uh, we were talking about how odd it is that this gospel about, you know, handling your talents well is paired with this idea of a man finding a wife, right, mm-hmm. uh, a worthy wife. Uh, and I think the connection becomes a little bit more clear when we look at this symbolically, not literally. So Right, right. Yeah, because if you take a literal interpretation of this, the connection, because again, as you mentioned, the first reading in the gospel are intentionally connected it's odd you know like what does a wife have to do with being fruitful and multiplying your talents yeah uh, it's but as we work through it'll become a little bit more um obvious i think so it, what we have here in our interpretation is the worthy wife but in hebrew it's apparently more the a woman of force or a, a woman of valor or strength oh, so it's this idea that wisdom if, again, we're taking that symbolic interpretation. Wisdom <clears throat> gives you, I think, a certain valor or strength to do the good mm. or to recognize the good. That's the interpretation I, I'm, I'm going to go with. I think, and I think it works because, again, we're building off from last week where wisdom was something that we pursue. Now wisdom is a wife, that wisdom has, been, has made her home within your soul. Yeah. And as a force of power or strength, your wife, metaphorically here, uh, kind of energizes you for the good. Right. Yeah. And that relationship with, with wisdom, that love of wisdom, as we talked about last week, that love of wisdom is what inspires you to fear the Lord, right? You see 
you see the world as coming from the hand of God. And so when you have that foundational vision, then you're able to act appropriately, right? And this, this, this list, list of things that the worthy wife does for her husband bring, brings him good, not evil, obtains wool and flax, uh, works with loving hands. All these things happen because of that fear of the Lord, uh, you know the fear, uh, the woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. This is towards the end of her, uh, of the uh, of the first reading, and so that foundation of fearing the Lord, seeing the bigger picture, and uh, picture enables you to act well and to be fruitful with with the earth. Right. So right, uh, wisdom brings good to people and not evil. Yeah, and that good is not abstract. It's it's real things in the world, right? right. It's, and that's why I think like that it's very insightful that, you know, in this analogy of uh, wisdom being a worthy wife, this list of real things of like obtaining wool and flax and working and uh, reaches out her hands to, this, to the poor and her, you know, she puts her um, finger, uh, fingers, ply the spindle. Uh, wisdom is supposed to be, it's supposed to manifest itself tangibly, never supposed to be just abstract in the ether. Uh, it's always supposed to be tangible and in, incarnate. Right. Well, it's again going back to this the the image in, the imagery of the feminine that a person has taken wisdom as a wife and has brought her into his home, and now she bears fruit, and mm-hmm. in, in these different ways, you know, as a as a worthy wife bears fruit. You said, in, and bearing fruit is in tangible ways. Like you said, not out, out there, but. She brings good, not evil. She, she gives her hands to, or she lends to the poor. Mm-hmm. Again, so the, a man who has wisdom, or a woman who has wisdom, is someone who manifests that in doing good, and avoiding evil, which I would say is part of fear of the Lord, mm-hmm. and lending to the poor and such yeah. like that. They're, they're, it's manifested in actions and virtues. Yep. Um, relating it to again this idea of philosophy, a uh, love of wisdom. It's very easy to characterize the philosophers as just being, you know, stuck up with, you know, with their ideas, you know, in their attics. <laughs> but traditionally, philosophy has always been about the education of the polis and inspiring virtuous people, right, to act. And so, you know, when you look at Plato and Aristotle, uh, they're not just going around uh, obsessed with ideas, but they're actually trying to reorganize the polis so that it can be um, a place of virtue. Uh, and, and virtue is not obsessed with ideas divorced from action. It is. It has to be action. Right. So, yeah. That's, I just, I remember having conversations with uh, my sister, Elisa, uh, who's, uh, you know, getting her doctorate in philosophy. And just, just talking about this idea of, of Plato as being obsessed with um, politics. Yeah. And not politics in a way that's uh, just... You know, again, divorced from the people, but it's on the ground thinking where virtue is the desired outcome. So, yeah, good. Um, any other thoughts on the first reading? No. So there, I'm just throwing this out there because we're going to come back to it. But the first reading ends with a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. Give her a reward for her labors. So, you know. Just kind of make pin a pin, pin that. Yeah. We're going to come back to it. We don't want to expand upon it too, too much right now because then we'll give away the the ending. Spoilers. But, yeah. Spoilers. No, no spoilers right. here. Yeah. <laughs> so moving on to the psalm, again, we get the iteration of blessed are those who fear the Lord. So that's kind of the psalm refrain. Uh, but the psalm itself says, blessed are those who fear the Lord, who walk in his ways, for you shall eat the fruit of your handiwork. Blessed shall you be and favored. Your wife shall be like a fruitful vine. So again, we get the imagery of fear of the Lord, fruit, and wife. Yeah. So I guess you could say, if you fear the Lord, then you will eat of the, eat of the fruit. So fear of the Lord has to do with bearing fruit. Hmm. And we could take it, we could take it a step further. Maybe I'm jumping the gun here, but and this is this is very 
This is a mystical interpretation. I'm all about that. Let's so, go. <laughs> so trigger warning. This is this, <laughs> this could be this could be a little controversial. But it says here, your wife shall be like a fruitful vine. So we could take this as your soul shall be like a fruitful vine. Because in the mystical interpret in the mystical tradition of the church, even with Saint John of the Cross, the soul is personified as a as feminine. Always, yeah, absolutely. But not. But yeah. this isn't to say if you're a man that you have a feminine soul, right? Right? right exactly. Yeah. That you are actually female or something. Right. But it's just even the Latin word anima yeah. for soul. That's uh, it's feminine. Yep. But it's because of these feminine qualities of the soul. Again, it's it is receptive. It bears fruit. These kinds of ideas that are again more associated with the archetype of the feminine than with the masculine. Uh, you have kind of God as your father, mm-hmm. God as the masculine, and you as uh, the receiver, the of receiver his grace. of the yeah, receiver of His grace. Exactly. So here you have: if you fear the Lord, if you reverence the Lord and, and wish not to offend Him, then you will eat of the fruit of your handiwork, and the, and this comes from your fruitful soul. Mm-hmm. You will, in a sense, you will enjoy the virtues that flow from your soul. Mm-hmm. If if you seek to avoid sin and love God. Right. Yeah, exactly. I, I, I mean, that shouldn't be too controversial. I, <laughs> well, you know, it, it could say, it, it could, you know, it, it could be a bit uncomfortable with the idea of, of feminine soul. Well, you, you know, know, I think that that's more, if there's anybody that's going to be uncomfortable with that, it's because, you know, we work, at least for us Americans, we, we work within the English language, which, which has been stripped of... Um, gender, right? And, and so, right. you know, I think in the more romantic languages, you see this idea that things are masculine and feminine. And that's not arbitrary. There's, there, it, like, in language itself, it's speaking to a symbolic vision of the world. Yeah. Uh, and so, you know, when you, like, you, you rightly pointed out how anima, you know, is the, the word for soul in Latin, it's properly feminine. And, and that tells us something about how our souls interact with the divine. Um, and yeah, and and that's the tradition is that nature has always been personified as feminine, um, not just wisdom, <laughs> but nature in general. Right. Uh, and and if we see ourselves as part of nature, of course, you know, man being uh, having dominion over nature and, and being the kind of the um, pinnacle of creation, we have a special place in creation. We're kind of separate from it, but also part of it. Nevertheless, um, that union between um, God and creation. Um, can be properly understood as kind of a man and wife. And that's, right. you know, that, that's the uh, image in the book of Revelation is that um, the wedding feast of the Lamb has begun after uh, creation is wed to, to God. So, yeah, it, we're speaking sp- symbolically, we're speaking um, archetypally. So, when you're in this realm, it's not as though the soul, as you said, is only feminine or only masculine, but it's to, or that, you know, the feminine is always submissive or something, or always mm-hmm. receptive. It, it's not that it's just typically and symbolically speaking, you have the soul as as submissive to the masculine, and the masculine being, you know, the Lord is the one who who gives. Right. Right. Um, as we saw in the first reading, the husband entrusts his his heart to his wife. So mm-hmm. the man entrusts his his heart to wisdom. And yeah. then the, then wisdom will bear fruit. You know, as a man uh, entrusts himself to his wife, and his wife bears fruit in the home, in a in a more physical sense. So we're we're kind of speaking in that realm um, yeah. more than than that. This is how it always is, or something like right. that. But, and so expanding that analogy, you know, if your wife shall be like a fruitful vine, understanding your wife as your soul, let's say, uh, then when you say, when the psalmist says your children like olive plants around your table. You can understand that as your children, as everything good that you produce, essentially. Right. right. Um, yeah. Like I said the the offspring of a virtue, you know, the offspring yeah. of a good life is, yeah, exactly. you know, you said, you know, it's it's charity, it's humility, you know, it's all, all the virtues kind of thing. You you could say, uh, in a more it's mystical sense. Yeah. And all this is possible because of that again that that yeah, fearing of the Lord. Once your foundation is God, uh, once you are in proper relationship with him, um, as personified as this fear, uh, then you will begin to produce fruit. 
and and this is you know I, I tell people a lot. It's it's a very simple principle, but I, I think you can if you apply it to any any circumstance, it stands true. You put God first. Let that be the foundation of your life. Everything else will flow in its place, right? Yeah. And I'm not I'm not talking like a preacher uh, that would you know try to push this prosperity gospel. Uh, but it does mean that there will be proper order in your soul, um, despite what happens. You know, you might, you know, you might come down with um, Ill- illnesses, um, suffering, and chaos. You might not be able to sleep. You might be <laughs> exactly. <laughs> um, but you know, again, to look symbolically at your life, um, what are the fruits that are um, that are coming from your relationship with God? Um, put Him as the foundation. Everything else will flow, flow properly. But you have to see. That everything else as symbolic, um, you know, the, the peace and joy that you have despite what might be around you. Yeah, I was actually thinking about these these two points. One, that if you look at the psalm, the first thing is, blessed are those who fear the Lord. So if you have this reverential fear, this filial fear that says, I don't, I, I want to follow the Lord, I don't want to offend him, so I want to move away from sin, love the Lord, then the fruit of this, you know, you shall eat the fruit of your handiwork is your wife will be like a fruitful vine, you'll have children in your home, um, all these these beautiful things will, will fill your, your existence. Mm-hmm. And, and that's all symbolic of a, a good life in God. Right, the right. proper orientation. But on the other hand, it does even say here, talking about you will see your prosperity. And I did think of the prosperity gospel, of like all, yeah. all you have to do is this thing and then God will give you right. all these good things. Right. I, you, know, you know what I'm thinking of? Uh, there was this movie... Uh, it wasn't Remember the Titans. There was a there was a football movie uh, that was Christian. I don't know if you remember this. It was years ago. Not Air Bud. No. <laughs> <laughs> Is that a Christian uh, sport movie? Um, yeah, right. The the nature of the dog is elevated to the divine, right? Yeah, yeah. I think he's <laughs> baptized at the end. <laughs> oh my gosh, Air Bud. What a ridiculous premise. Um. Anyway, there was this. I can't remember it now. Um. But it was it was a Christian movie, explicitly Christian, and the coach. Um, part of the storyline was that the coach was uh, kind of lukewarm in his faith, and he couldn't have any children. Like him and his wife were trying to have children, and he finds out, and his doctors tell him that the problem is with him. Like he just can't, you know, he can't. Yeah, he can't have children. Turns his life around. He gives his life to God, and he turns his. Um, football team around too they end up like winning uh the championship or whatever and at the end of the movie uh his wife is like pregnant with twins or something like that uh and i remember thinking that is uh, that's a dangerous message man like just because you turn your life around and you give it to god doesn't necessarily mean that like all all things will be given to you right there are a lot of people who are faithful and holy um that are you know that bear the suffering of infertility. And like that's not to say that something's wrong with them or like, you know, they're, they're li- like, oh, you're, you, something must be stuck in your spiritual life for this to be happening to you. Um, suffering happens to all people, yeah. you know, holy and unholy. Look at Job, right? Uh, and so, you know, when we're reading these, these passages in Scripture saying that, you know, those who fear the Lord will have children, right, uh, around your table, that's it's you have to read it in that symbolic way. I think. Yeah, so. yeah. I, I I do think it's possible for someone to turn towards God, and many good things happen in their life, and many good things begin to change yes. for them. Yeah, absolutely. and perhaps even children. However, uh, I think you're right. You have to kind of temper that with that. That's not the reason to turn towards God. Or if you do turn towards God, remember that He may fulfill your heart's desire in a way you didn't expect. Yeah, exactly. Um, St. John of the Cross has a lot of beautiful passages about that, that if God makes you a promise and it doesn't happen in the, you know, if when God makes a promise, don't expect it to be fulfilled precisely in, in the, way, in the way you think. Yeah. Because he, God can keep his promises in unexpected ways. Yeah, exactly. So I think you're right. Yep. God will perhaps surround you with children, you know, it's keeping this movie in mind, maybe the children that he is surrounded with is his team. Right, exactly. You know, or something like that, or yeah. or it becomes adoption, or, or you know, whatever right. it is. Right. Um, but you're right, just kind of to temper that, that I think turning towards the Lord, your life will be better. Yeah. It will be oriented properly. 
but that doesn't mean yet yeah, you're gonna find a ten thousand dollar check or no something. right exactly no. and it's um it's just yeah it's an important lesson to remember in our in the midst of our own sufferings and our prayers to God when it feels like we're being unheard uh when we're asking God for things um there's a great during um yeah during the Easter season right before Pentecost um Obviously, because that's yeah, <laughs> that's the Easter season. But there's a passage, there's a gospel where our Lord Lord is talking to his apostles about sending his Holy Spirit, and he says, uh, "On that day, you will not question me about anything." I, I love that um, that passage. It, our Lord is essentially saying that, like you were um, alluding to, like our prayers may be answered in ways that we're not expecting, and maybe we don't even see it until the final day. Right, but when we cross that threshold, you know, when we're on the other side of the veil, um, we will not question God about anything. We'll see how all things were taken care of. So. Yeah. Uh, elsewhere, I think it's in the in the Psalm, but I don't remember the exact Psalm. But it's something like, "I've never seen a righteous man suffer." Go, yes. Go, yeah, yeah. go without one. one. Now, yeah. Again, that's does that mean you're going to be? in the top one percent of the wealthy in the right. world? That not not necessarily, yeah. but it just means that. Perhaps you'll have a roof over your head in a bed. Yeah. And it's like, that's good. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like, you know like what? That's yeah, I'll go that, a know. step further in saying even if you don't, you will have a roof over your soul. Yeah. Right. There you and, go. That, and that's what that's what matters. Yeah. Um, like right, I've never seen the righteous man go hungry. We know of a lot of innocent people who die and yeah. starve. Um, but that's like that's only what we can perceive with our material eye. Right. So. Well, good. Any other thoughts? We can move on to the second reading. Yes. Yeah, let's go. Okay. So we're in Thessalonians, and here St. Paul is, is doing kind of a compare and contrast between the children of light and of the day and children of the night and of darkness, um, and that the Lord will come like a thief in the night. He's, he talked about the day of the Lord. So the day of the Lord has a very Old Testament meaning uh, about the reappearance of God. So it's, a, it's the time of appointed salvation. Mm-hmm. And when the Savior King will return, so in Paul in the Old Testament, that was the Messiah. But now transferring it after Christ, it's the return of Christ. So when when Christ returns, he he will come like a thief in the night for those who were unprepared. It seems like yeah. So uh, Saint Paul says, uh, "The day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night." When people are saying peace and security, then sudden disaster will come upon them. So this peace and security, Paul is kind of mocking the idea of the Pax Romana. Mm. I think that is currently happening, the the peace of Rome. Yeah. Saying that kind of everything has been established. Everything, yeah, yeah, right. You know, the Roman Empire has kind of peace on its borders for the, for. That's right. Uh, one of the you know, first time it's the, the empire is pretty solid. There's a, a common language, at least, you know, kind of Latin and Greek, and there's a, a good road system. You know, roads are actually really starting right. to kind of connect. And so Rome it's like, is at its peak here. Exactly. Yeah. So yeah. what more could you want? And St. Paul is saying that's, that's not it, right? Like Rome is saying to you peace, but I'm saying to you when you are relaxed and say, oh, you're right. Everything that materially looks good, the Lord will come back. Right. And catch you unaware because you fell back on this. Well, the the peace of Rome. Rome told me everything was okay. Right. So right. what happened? But he goes on, St. Paul goes on to talk about the the sons of light or the children of light. And he says to you, uh, after the the idea of uh, after the idea of dismissing peace and security, he says, but you brothers and sisters are not in darkness for that day to overtake you like a thief in the night. For all of you are children of the light and children of the day. We are not of the night or darkness. Therefore, let us not sleep as the rest do, but let us stay alert and sober. Mm-hmm. So the Lord returns as a thief if you are sleeping. So if you're on the one side of dark night sleeping, the Lord breaks in, mm-hmm. kind of in, in, in sudden ruin. But if you're alert of the day and of the light, the Lord comes back in sort of a 
a, a good triumph. You know, that's yeah. what we talked about last week, that if you're alert for the Lord, you'll go out and meet him. And it won't be a sudden, a sudden thing. You'll actually right. see him from afar and go and greet him. Right, exactly. Um, I think, and even taking it a step further, you know, there's always moments of, like, epiphany that we experience throughout our lives. And it's, you know, this is very easy to relate this to, uh, you know, the, the second coming when our Lord comes. But, again, throughout our lives, we have these moments where God does break through, whether in a peaceful way or in a um, terrifying way, where we think we have peace and security, and then something happens to us. You know, a loved one gets sick, right? Um, so, sudden suffering befalls us. You know, th- those moments can come like a thief in the night as well. And if we don't place our, if we don't place ourselves firmly on Christ, then those moments will take us over like like thieves. And so, to remain in the light, to 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 have Christ as your foundation, staying alert and sober, uh, nothing will ever disturb you. Right? Mm-hmm. Um, going back to Socrates's famous um, adage, uh, "No no harm can befall the just man." Right. So, or the psalm. That we talked about. Or the song, the, yeah. <laughs> or, you know, yeah, yeah. or to Christianize it, you know, keeping right. <laughs> yes. But yeah, so that that that's uh that's a good insight though, because you know, you have Jesus identifying himself as the light of the world. So those who follow him are not in darkness. They they see where they're going. They're not um those who suffer want in whatever context that might be, uh kind of symbolically. So I, I still think we have the imagery here of bearing fruit, of in of being in the light. Mm, yeah. Um, you know, perhaps stretching it a little bit. You know, it's it's during the day and the and the light that you work. You know, especially in the ancient world, those would have been the times in which you go out and you till the field or you harvest. Right. You don't do you don't do those things at night. Mm-hmm. Now, of course, there's obviously the more symbolic light as something good, you know, of light as goodness, righteousness, truth, and then darkness as the exact opposite, wickedness. But I, I still think we can kind of keep it the idea of of light and wakefulness, right? That you're yeah. you're working and you're alert to to the day. Right. Right. When you're asleep you're not producing anything, really. Right. Yeah. Right. And that's the idea. Is that let us not sleep as the rest do, but let us stay alert and sober. And this idea of staying alert and sober is to to work, to, to produce fruit until the coming of God. You know, going back to the idea of peace and security, um, that you know, that's alluded to in the gospels in the beginning of Luke, where you know he specifically mentions that Caesar Augustus was the, the emperor mm-hmm. uh, of Rome, and then that's when Christ comes it is during this reign of ultimate peace and security. You know, Augustus being one of the greatest rulers that has ever lived. He's the one I believe who ushered in the the Roman peace. I believe right? so. Yeah, and so you know that's contrasted immediately with this is the world and um, this is the peace and security that uh, the world can bring, but Christ is, has come to establish true peace and justice. Yeah, well, that even goes to the the heart of the idea of the gospel, Evangelion, you know, the, the good news of the emperor is right. I have established peace through violence, yeah. whereas the gospel writers are trying to say the good news is actually the true king has come yeah. and, and true peace has come. Right. Um, right. Peace through violence versus a Christian peace that has absorbed violence into itself, right? right. That's like uh, Christ on the cross, um, right. the image of true peace. Any other, any other thoughts on that? We're, I'm... We're going to go back to all these. At least I'm going to try to when we right. get, to, when we we get left, to the gospel. We left something pinned, right? Yeah, right. So, yeah. And also, yeah, so pinned children of the light and children of the darkness. So yeah. we, got, we have the idea of fear of the Lord and bearing and reward. Yep. We have children of the light and children of the darkness have those pinned. So two sticky notes. Yeah. Uh, yeah. If you're listening, I hope you know, I hope keep track. <laughs> right. yeah. hope you're taking notes, um, even if you're driving. No excuse. No. I hope we're not responsible for any, any accidents. <laughs> Uh, so we'll move on to the gospel. So the gospel is the famous 
parable of the talents. The, the uh, a man is going on a journey and he calls his servants and he entrusts to them his possessions. So one servant gets five talents, one gets two talents, and one gets one talent. Mm-hmm. So two uh, two things right away. So the man entrusts his possessions to his servants. And I'm going to go back to the first reading where it says that a husband entrusts his heart to his wife. Okay. So you have the man entrusting his possessions or his maybe his you could say his his livelihood, you know, maybe symbolic like the heart or something like mm-hmm. that to the servants to produce fruit. He's expecting some sort of return, which yeah. becomes which He's expecting some sort of fruitfulness, as you'll see at the end of the gospel. Just as in the first reading, a man who entrusts his heart to his wife, she bears good fruit. She she does evil, or she does she doesn't do evil. She does good and yeah. not evil, and you know gives to the poor and does all these other things. Right. The second thing is he does he. It says here that to each according to his ability, he gives the talents. So even the one who got one talent, he's expecting that he can do something with it. Mm-hmm. That he understands something about these three servants that says, I know you can bear fruit with it. Right. But as we know, that doesn't happen. No. Sadly enough. Yeah, the, the servant with the one talent, he, he done messed up. Man. Yeah. <laughs> so the one with five earns another five. Uh, the one with two earns another two. But the one who, But the man who received one went off and dug a hole in the ground and buried his master's money. Mm-hmm. So literally he takes his treasure and puts it in darkness. Yeah. Right. So there's the second reading coming yeah, to the, play a little bit. Right. right? There you go. <laughs> Remember that pin. <laughs> so right. He becomes a, a child of darkness in that sense. He he takes what was entrusted to him and does not bear fruit. Hides it. And hides it. Yep. Which we talked about before the podcast. There is some historical evidence for bearing your your treasure, bearing your money as a way to keep it safe. Right. I know a lot of people did that, like, um, with the whole banking system in America. Like, there was a lot of distrust with that, and and so people used to just bury their money in their yards. Right, under your mattress. Yeah, yeah, under your mattress, and yeah. I I know uh, with kind of ancient Israelites, they would do that maybe if if they thought there was an occupying army coming through or something like that, you Mm -hmm. could bury your money. So there is some historical evidence for it, but it's a way to keep it safe and secure. Right. As we heard from the Pax Romana. Yes. You know, it's like instead of kind of taking a risk and multiplying right. with fruitfulness, you know, in an, as, a, as a husband takes, takes a risk, you know, offering his heart to his wife. Yeah. But she bears fruit because he trusts her. Here we have a man who does not trust the master mm-hmm. and therefore buries it. And it's interesting to see how the other two servants um, who received five talents, and two talents, uh, our Lord says immediately they went and traded with them. And so there was a sense of almost, you know, on the surface, and, and this is maybe gets at the heart of wisdom, on the surface it seems like there was, they were almost uh, a little risky, almost too risky with what their master entrusted to them. Uh, as soon as the master gives them the talents and goes away, they immediately trade. Uh, and so there, it's almost like they like let go of what's been given to them, uh, you know, almost imprudently. However, as we later find out, uh, this was actually done in wisdom. They knew that if they traded with them, they would get money back. And so, in seeing the bigger picture, in 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 having this vision of that that's wise, uh, they were able to bear fruit um, instead of in the moment thinking, well, I can just be safe with this. You know, this is what's entrusted to me. And so maybe I should deliberate with it, you know, about it a little bit longer or should I hide it? Um, there was almost like a lavishness, um, you know. Again, it, on the surface it seems imprudent, but in the long run it was actually the wise thing to do. So I, I think it goes to two points. One, how it says immediately they went and made more. This uh, idea that wisdom gives the soul like a promptness to the good, right? Like mm-hmm. it it, make, it doesn't make you delay. 
Yeah. And in the second, it, it goes back to watchfulness and kind of being sober and alert. Yeah. Is the master's going on a journey, but he didn't say when he was going to return. So maybe he'll be back soon. So therefore, I should make money now for when he comes back. I because I, I'm just not sure. Mm-hmm. So yeah, there's a, a promptness to the wisdom and virtue. So it says here that the master is, he was, after a long time, the master of those servants came to settle accounts with them. So this idea that uh, the theme of the, the second coming, right? And that this second coming requires of, of servants, both foresight and a sort of effort, you mm-hmm. know? So he, he's gone for a while. He returns this kind of second coming motif. And he says to the two servants who bore fruit, well done, my good and faithful servant. Since you are faithful in small matters, I will give you great responsibilities. Come and share in your master's joy. So the reward of their fear of their master, their filial fear of the master, is to share in their master's joy. So, so this is here to come share in your master's joy. Um, but I think more literally it's come enter into. Okay, which, yeah. Which will be um, important because the one who only had one talent and didn't do anything with it is cast out. Mm-hmm. So you have sort of this in and out imagery of those who are fruitful enter into joy and those who do not bear fruit are cast out right. of joy yep. into darkness. So so the, they're, they're rewarded, the two servants. They make a 100% increase. But then it comes to the servant with one talent. And he, came for, uh, he comes forward and says, Master, I knew you were a demanding person, harvesting where you did not plant and gathering where you did not scatter. So out of fear... I went and buried your talent in the ground. Here is it back. So we have this human fear now. Right. C- contrasted with fear of the Lord. Yeah. So he didn't fear his master out of love. He feared him because he was demanding. Right. And this was the this is the worldly fear. Yes. That's overtaken this lazy servant. Uh again, thinking thinking in the moment that that was prudent letting that fear overcome him. And he, ultimately he was blind to the true nature of his, of his master. You know, it's, it's interesting that, you know, he, he, he knows his master to a certain extent saying, you know, I know that you're a demanding person. You harvest where you do not plant, you gather where you do not scatter. And so out of fear, I went off and buried your talent. And a master doesn't deny this. He's saying, you don't, you know, he, he's not saying, oh, you're wrong about me. Right. He's saying, you knew that I harvest where I did not plant and I gather where I do not scatter. So, like, why didn't you put my money in the bank so that I've got so that I could have made interest on it? Uh, I think that that fear, that worldly fear, blinded him. Ultimately, it stunted him um, to act. He was not acting out of wisdom. Yeah, no, it, it, you seem to also have a contrasting here of hope and hopelessness, or like hope and despair. Mm, yeah, because. The two other servants, I think, had hope in that they 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 hope in the master's goodness that if I produce fruit, the master will reward me for that. Right. I, I I trust in his promise that I that he is a demanding person, but he's also a rewarding person. Yeah. You know, I, I think that's and I think that's God, right? God is demanding. Yeah. But he's also not unjust. Right. In those demands, so the. Um, lazy servant, I think, is a figure of hopelessness and despair. That I can't do what what he's asking of me, yeah. so just forget it. Right. I think of um, was it that famous Chesterton quote? Um, Christianity has not been tried and found wanting. It's been found difficult. And untr- left, untr- and untried, left, untried and yeah, and left wanting. No, right. Um, Christianity has not. It's not too difficult. The problem is that the uh, Christianity is not too difficult. It's that it's left untried, and nobody has really been able to to figure out how valid it is. Right. That's not the quote. <laughs> there's, a, <laughs> there's a wittiness to Chesterton's, yeah. um, but that's the that's the point. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So he, this this lazy servant says it's demanding. I know you're demanding, and I just kind of opted out of it. Like I'm not even going to 
going to try. Yeah. So because that the master acknowledges this and says, you're right, actually, I am demanding. Um, you could have at least put it in the bank. Mm-hmm. So he says, take the talent from him and give it to the and get in. Take the talent from him and give it to the one with ten. Yeah. For everyone who has more will be given, and he will grow rich. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. And throw and yeah, throw this right. useless servant into darkness outside, where there will be wailing and grinding of teeth. Yeah. So we have again some some con- some contrasts here. So you have. The faithful, the good and faithful servant is one who is useful. That's what's implied. He is one who bears fruit. But the wicked and lazy servant is useless. So be useful to the Lord. Mm-hmm. You know, <laughs> yeah. use, what you, use what you have. And then you also have, I think, that the, the servants who produce fruit are children of the light. Mm-hmm. They enter into the, the light of the master's joy. Yep. But then literally here... The, the lazy servant is cast out into darkness. He is yeah. a child of dark, right. of the dark. And going, sorry, kind of scattered here. Going back to the demanding part, you also have here the idea of the Lord is a thief. Yeah. And then going off last week's, the Lord is the bridegroom. It's if you're one who has worked hard in the vineyard of the Lord, as it were, the Lord comes back as the bridegroom. Because mm-hmm. the two servants know that what they've been entrusted it's not theirs. It's it's the master's. So they when he comes back, the master is harvesting what is properly his. Yeah. Whereas for the unprofitable servant, he sees the Lord almost as a thief. Yeah. Saying, right. you know, you gather where you don't you gather where you don't scatter. You harvest where you know you, you haven't planted. Mm-hmm. So you're a thief. Right. That's interesting. And I mean, it does sound like this master is extremely demanding. Like, like, listen, he didn't steal. Like, you know, on one level, the 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 servant with one talent, he didn't steal from the master, right? It's not like he took the talent and then ran away, right? And he just he gave it to him back. He's like, here, you 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 know, this is properly yours. And yet, the master demands more. Yeah, uh, which is a frightful proposition. Like that's um. You know, it's almost, you know, I think on one level, if we expand this parable to ourselves, it's like, I, I didn't want to play this game, right? <laughs> like, I, you know, let me just be, you know, and, and not, you know, not play this game of trading and risk and, you know, why, why, why these demands? But the, the truth is, is that, you know, the gift of life that we've all been given uh, has to bear some fruit. It can't. We can't, uh, you know, return to the Lord net zero, right? <laughs> it, ne- it needs to. There needs to be a gratitude um, that comes from life, despite the fact that, no, or despite whatever we may have, it, yeah. whether we have a lot or a little. Yeah. You know, and and that's where I think at the end of this gospel where he says for to everyone who has more will be given and he will grow rich but from the one who has not even what he has will be taken away it almost seems unjust but when we perceive what we have as a lot and then risk it risk it in the way that these the two first servants did we will bear fruit it's when we perceive as whatever we've been given as nothing, then that attitude of like, well, I have so little, then what's the point? That will be taken as well, uh, taken away as well. Right, right. Well, if you perceive even your existence as a gift and everything you have as a gift, when the Lord says even what he has will be taken away, He's taking it away because it's not yours. Right. Yeah, exactly. And if you think of it as yours in ingratitude, not fear the Lord, again, remembering that the Lord is is above all mm-hmm. and you love him as the source of all good things or everything that you have, even if it's just your life, yeah. then that will, that will be taken from you because mm-hmm. you did not see it. You saw it as your own. You grasped for it as opposed to trying to give it away and exactly. be fruitful. Yep. You know, I'm thinking, you know, the, the analogy here, I think, um, with fear of the Lord, uh, proper fear of the Lord, 
given the end of this gospel. You know, imagine if someone you you really love gives you a gift, and I don't know, it could be anything. Let's say a little a little um, coffee mug, right? <laughs> um, you know, that coffee mug is more than just the mug itself. There's a there's a story and a love and care behind it, and so the proper thing to do would be to take not just to leave it and let it grow dust, but to actually care for it, right? When you use it to clean it, um, be careful with it. Uh, almost treat it as more than the little that it, a coffee mug might represent, right? And so when, you have a, uh, a, when you've been given a gift from someone you love, the, f- the proper fear there is to care for the thing lest it, you, know, you break it from neglect or whatever. So, Right. Yeah. Right. It's, it's this, um, again, it's the, the disposition of the, the worthy wife that has been entrusted with these things, has been entrusted by her husband to, to produce fruit. If you are somebody that is ungrateful or someone who kind of resents the fact that you have, you have to bear fruit, then all will be taken. Yeah. But I think these good and faithful servants are supposed to be kind of in a mystical sense, the wife. That these are people who have been entrusted with much and they also have the hope of the good wife, which is to receive a reward for, for your labors. Yeah. And the Lord has promised that if you labor well, if you labor in virtue, you know, faith, hope, and charity, then you will receive the reward. Yep. But the lazy servant didn't believe that. Yeah. Because, because he had an improper fear. Right. You know, I'm, I'm thinking a little bit of um, Adam and Eve in the garden where, you know, they were given all the fruits of the garden except one. And in neglecting that, right, and treating what they had as little, um, not being grateful for what they've been given, they try to grasp at something yeah. um, instead of receiving, you know, going back to that um, anima principle of receptivity, yep. um, grasping at what was not theirs in, in a kind of neglect of everything that they've been given. And thus, even what they had was taken away. Um, so this is a little bit of a Genesis connection there. So. I think so. I, I like it. I'll, I'll go with it. Okay, thanks. Um, <laughs> so now connecting it once uh, once to the psalm, you have the idea of, you know, the the blessed man is one who fears the Lord and he eats the fruit of his handiwork. And I would say that works both ways. I would say that the servants who produce fruit ate of their handiwork and the servant who didn't produce also ate the fruit of his handiwork. Right. Oh, yeah, that's but interesting. in different ways, yeah. right? Like. Eat and drank unto his condemnation. Uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, right. Exactly. It's you didn't bear fruit, therefore that's what you get. That's yeah. your reward is to be cast out. But the other ones who did work, you get to eat of you get to eat of the, your handiwork, which is to enter into the joy mm-hmm. of the master. Right. That's your that's your reward. Yeah, that's good. Any concluding thoughts? Anything else? Or no, I think yeah. Those are all my thoughts for now. Oh shoot! Hang on. Can, do you mind if I add one yeah, more? Yeah, I go, just ahead, go ahead. Yeah. Um, <laughs> only because it's it's it gets a little bit unique. Maybe you don't talk about it, but the gospel antiphon. So that the thing that's recited oh, yeah. right before the gospel, we rarely talk about it. But th- in this week's, it's "Remain in me as I remain in you," says the Lord. Whoever remains in me bears much fruit. So, mm-hmm. in the gospel, you have the possessions of the master as an extension of the master. So you have this, and so therefore you are yeah, right. remaining in the Lord by having his, his possessions. And if you remain in him, that is, you take his, the things entrusted to you and multiply them, you bear fruit. Interesting. But the lazy servant actually cut himself off right. and buried it, right. almost like casting it away from him and not keeping it. So he kind of cut himself off from the master. Yeah, I think... That's really important, actually, because by ourselves, by our own power, we cannot bear the fruit that we ought to. Uh, you know, going back to Genesis, after Adam and Eve sinned, one of the punishments was that uh, only by much struggle and labor will man eat from the fruit of the earth. And 
nature has since then has always been opposed to man. Bearing fruit has always been a struggle. It doesn't come naturally. But through Christ, we are now able to partake of the fruits of the earth in a more, in an easier, I don't want to say easy, in a natural way, mm-hmm. right? In a free way. Um, and so it's only by having that from foundation in Christ, remaining in Christ as he remains in us, that we can now bear fruit. It's that Christian life, that the, the redemption of creation, where all of our efforts will now finally bear fruit in a way that they should. Um, right. So yeah, that's good. you have that spousal imagery, the spousal imagery from the first reading of the husband and wife. If they remain in each other, they bear fruit. Yeah. Right. And the, the same thing from the, the psalm, the one who fears the Lord remains in the Lord and therefore yep. bears fruit. And if we are divorced from wisdom and if ultimately if we're divorced from Christ, uh, we're not going to bear fruit. We can't. We can't do it by ourselves. That's right. That would be a humanism. That's humanism. Humanism. Uh, Christianity with, with uh, commitment issues. What <laughs> Is that what <laughs> <laughs> yeah, or or Pelagianism. Yeah, maybe, right? yeah that's uh, right. Yeah. <laughs> well, um, guess that that's it. Yeah, right, you yeah. good? Okay, that was good. Um, well, thank you so much for listening. Thank you for uh, all that you do, Father, as well. <laughs> I would say <laughs> you're welcome, my son. <laughs> uh, remember, you can leave us a question at basically related podcast at gmail.com please like comment and subscribe that way we can combat the algorithm gods thank you for listening we'll see you next week